Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, we do turn to You now and trust that Your Word is living and active, that it and it alone is able to work deep within our hearts by the truth of the Gospel to enable us to believe in Jesus, to work Your grace in us in such a way that we live for His glory. And we pray that that would be the case today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture passage this morning comes from the first chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and you'll find that on page 976 of the Pew Bible, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. We began this series in Ephesians last week and really looked at only two verses last week, Paul's introduction of himself to the Ephesians and his desire for grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to rain down blessings upon the Ephesians and really the rest of the church of God throughout the ages. And now he's going to begin to praise God for the blessings that we do have. And so let's read together, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. A farmer by the name of Ira Yates purchased a large plot of land in West Texas in 1915. It was a plot of land that was basically good for nothing, scrub brush, and he and his wife Anne eked out a living, raising sheep and cattle and goats for a number of years. Until 1926, when oil was discovered on his property. Really is the real-life version, uh, version of Jed Clampett. In 1926, so much oil was discovered on his property that as soon as they drilled down, gushers began to grow up that they could not control. In fact, his property holds the record for the well with the greatest production rate in world history. 8,528 barrels per hour. That's over 200,000 barrels per day. Instantly. Ira and Ann Yates went from poor dirt farmers to being some of the richest people in the United States. 
in a way, that's what it means to become a Christian as well. There are imaginable riches in Jesus Christ. Sadly, though, we often fail to grasp and understand and appropriate and live by those rich blessings that Paul speaks of here in verse 8. These blessings, these rich uh, riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God's intention for His people is to bless. His intention is to shower love and grace and mercy and blessings upon us. And yet so many times we sort of live as if we're in autopilot mode. Not really grasping and understanding and living out the wonderful promises that He gives to us. Because we haven't, in a sense, drilled down into the Word and received those blessings of grace. and We can't grow strong as Christians. And we can't grow strong as the church of Jesus Christ unless we're living in those blessings. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon once said that Christian growth takes place upward and downward at the same time. In other words, if you want to grow in a life of holiness, a life of faithfulness to the Lord, you also must grow downward in the Scriptures, downward rooted in the truth of the Gospel of grace. And that's the very thing that Paul wants to do for the Ephesians and for the rest of the church throughout the ages, is that we be rooted in the riches of His grace. And so he begins his letter by praising God. In verse 3 he says, Blessed or praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They're spiritual, not simply in the sense that they're for our spirit or our soul, but they come to us by the Holy Spirit. And He's given us every single one. He's held nothing back. Every blessing that He could give from heaven, God has given from heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul was an educated man, but he didn't go to the same grammar school that you went to. In fact, if he had gone to the same grammar school that you went to, he would probably have been instructed by his teacher not to make a run-on sentence. You probably remember your parents or your teacher telling you that. Don't keep going. You need pauses. You need periods. You need breaks to create sentences. Well, interestingly, this entire passage that I read is one long sentence. As if to say Paul couldn't even stop. There are so many things for which we ought to praise God. So many blessings that He gives. It's like this waterfall that keeps cascading further and further down with greater and greater force because He just can't come to a conclusion. And so Paul begins to praise God for all these glorious blessings. Now we can't touch on all of them, but we can touch on a few of the mountain peaks that Paul describes to us here. One of the things that we need to recognize from the outset is they only come to us because we're in Christ by faith. He says 11 times in these 14 verses, either we are in Christ or we're in Him by faith. Nothing comes to us by way of blessings from heaven, by being outside of Jesus by faith. And what are these blessings? Well, 
He's first of all blessed us by choosing us in Christ. Choosing us in Christ. That's what he says here. Verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now this passage is filled with tones of the sovereignty of God. Not only verse 4, but verse 5 goes on to say, He predestined us for adoption. Verse 9 says, Making known to us the mystery of His will. Verse 11 is the strongest. In Him we have obtained obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. God works all things right down to whether a sparrow falls from the sky or the number of hairs on your head. He works it all according to His purposes. Maybe before we come to know Christ in faith, those are concepts and ideas that we fight against. We want to be the master of our domain. We want to be the sovereign ruler of our lives. But when we come to God and we see His goodness and His good rule, we want Him to be sovereign in a world filled with great chaos. And then at some point, some of us come to understand that only by His sovereign choice to save us would we be able to be set free from the dominion of sin over our lives so that we can actually come to Him in faith. Now some might say, well, don't I have free will? Yes, you have free will. You have free will in the sense that you choose what you want. We all do. But look and consider what Paul says we would actually choose if left to our sinful nature. In chapter 2, he says in verse 1, that we were dead, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead in sin. And it's not until God makes us alive in Christ that we begin to believe in Him. When we understand just how desperate our condition is as sinners, then what we begin to embrace is God's choice of us. That He would so graciously grab hold of sinners and draw them to Himself so that we could be freed from the bonds of sin. God has chosen to save His people. Now what that means is this. God has been thinking about you. If you're a believer in Christ, God has been thinking about you since the world began, since before the world began. It's what He says here. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He has been thinking about you in particular. Not just a a general sea of people. But He's known you. Everybody wants to be known. Everybody wants to go places where they're known. Everybody wants to be valued. Everybody wants to think that other people are thinking about them. Am I important? Do other people think about me? Is my life of any value to anyone else? God says, I've been thinking about you before time even began. You might think of how 
Jesus met the Apostle Peter. Peter's brother, Andrew, brought Jesus to Peter, who was called Simon at that particular time. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, So you, you're Simon. Certainly he had heard of Simon from Andrew, but it's as if Jesus had been waiting for thousands of years, literally all of eternity, to stand before Peter and say, So you're the one that I've been thinking about. And friends, it's the same thing for you and me. One day we'll stand before the Lord and He will look at us and say, you know, I've been thinking about you and I've been longing to be with you. And so Paul says here that we've been chosen in Christ. Some of you may remember the days on the playground when... There was a team, two team captains, and the team captains began to select certain people for their team. And they would size everybody up, and they would look to see who maybe has the greatest athletic potential. Who have I seen on the basketball court before? That's the first person. And slowly it begins to whittle down to where there are just a few people left, and everybody has always been afraid on the playground to be the last person chosen. I don't want to be that person. Friends, God doesn't have any people like that. He's chosen His people not because of what we can do to serve on His team, but simply because He loves us. That's what Paul says. He says, in love, in love we have been predestined. We've been predestined to two particular ends that Paul speaks of here. First is adoption. He says in verse 5 that He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. To be in sin and to be outside of Christ, to reject Jesus and the Gospel is to be outside the family of God. It's to look at God the Father and say, I reject your authority. I want nothing to do with you. I will go my own way. I will go off into the far country and I'll make my own way. And I'll make my own blessings. And eventually most people come to the place like in the parable of the prodigal son, the young son who does that very thing and comes to realize there are no great blessings out here. There aren't things that I can hold on to that will last forever and ever. But that's to be a spiritual orphan, isn't it? And yet because of His love, He's decidedly adopted us in Christ. A man by the name of Robert Peterson, who was a pastor and teacher, shared his testimony at a Presbyterian church in America, General Synod, a number of years ago. General Assembly, excuse me. He admitted to being conceived in the back of a car by his mother and some particular man that he does not even know. Eventually, he uh, lived with his mother and his sisters. His mother remarried and uh, married an Air Force officer. And yet, she was not a faithful wife. She eventually had adulterous affairs with other men. Her husband came home one day and found her and beat her to death in front of the watching eyes of her children. Young Bobby stood there and watched. 
He became an orphan. And he had six different names by the time he was 12 years old. Eventually, the Petersons showed up at the particular orphanage that he was living at. They were told they were too old to have an infant. They had to pick one of the older children who had lots of problems. And so they began to flip through the various books of pictures of all the children in the orphanage until they came to Bobby's picture. And they said, we'd like to meet him. They took him out bowling and he thought, you know, if I could bowl some strikes, maybe, maybe they will like me. He said he bowled nine gutter balls in a row. Then they took him out again for Chinese food. He thought, maybe if I could eat with chopsticks, they'll be impressed. He ended up spilling his entire plate into Mr. Peterson's lap. Eventually they came back for Bobby and they chose him. Then a few years later when he was entering into high school, some children found out that he had been adopted and they began to tease him. You're adopted. Something different about you came running home to his parents and his mother embraced him and he told her what happened. And she simply said, Bobby, don't you understand? All those other children came the old-fashioned way. But you were chosen. You were chosen because we love you. Friends, that is God. He chose us in love to be His children. Because from all of eternity, His great delight is for you to be welcomed into His family. And so He's chose us to be adopted. He's also chose us for another purpose, and that's to be holy. He says here in verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. His desire is to make us into holy and righteous, blameless children. He wants to demonstrate His glorious character in the lives of His children so that we look more and more like Him. And it's only when we begin to grasp all the glories of God's grace that we say to God, I want to be like you too. Very similar to a a young boy who wants to be like his father. And when dad goes off to work, he Maybe he goes out to the shop and he grabs some of dad's tools and begins to build something. And he wants it to look just like what dad would build if dad was there using the tools. And when dad comes home, he says, come and look. Come and look, daddy, and see what I made. Friends, when we understand the gospel, that's what we want to say to God. Look, I've been laboring to glorify you. Because I want to be just like you. Friends, the purpose of His grace is said over and over in this passage as He says in verse 6 that everything is to the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. Repeated three times over. Because what God wants is that one day the entire world will look and see. Look at the glories of His grace. God will say, look at what I can do in my children. Do you see the glories of my grace in them? And when we stand before Him, He will say, very similar to what He said 
when he created the entire world, he will say, now isn't that good? Isn't that good? That's exactly what he's seeking to do in us. And when we understand his, his sovereign, gracious purposes in our lives, it becomes the impetus for us to begin to live lives to the glory and praise of his grace. And so he's chosen us. But secondly, he has also redeemed us in Christ. Verse 7 tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption is from the old Levitical law that simply means to buy something back, to reclaim it, to purchase it back. And in particular, it was in reference to slavery in Egypt. People of God were in bondage to Pharaoh. And what did God do? He redeemed them. He bought them back. He brought them out of the land of bondage and into the land of the freedom of His love. And in Jesus, that's what He has done. He has redeemed us by the blood of Christ. Purchased us by Christ's blood. Why? As He goes on to say, for the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. There are a lot of reasons in which we have anxiety in life. One is maybe fear that we're not loved. Another is fear of the future circumstances spiraling out of control in our lives. Maybe we've made a mistake and the future looks bleak. Maybe we aren't certain about the way in which our finances are going to work out. Maybe we aren't certain about the way in which our parenting is going to work out for our children. Maybe we aren't sure what job there will be for us in the future, even though I've just graduated from college. Those kind of anxieties. But there's another source of anxiety too. And it's guilt. It's guilt. We look at our lives and we know that we're guilty. And there are different ways to handle that. One is to suppress it. To try to excuse it. To minimize it and say it's not that bad. And the other is to live in fear. Live in shame. And try to overcome it. Friends, Christ has forgiven all of our sins. So that there is no more wrath for us. The slate is clean. And in that we have the ability to live for Him. And it's only when we live in those riches that we stop trying to excuse our sin, deny our sin, pretend that it doesn't exist. We stop trying to beat ourselves up and say, I'm unworthy to be saved. I can't do it. But we simply come to Christ and rest in Him. Well, the final thing is this. He chose us. He redeemed us but He also sealed us in Christ. says that very explicitly here in verse 13. In Him, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You've probably seen the t-shirts and sweatshirts that say, authentic property of. Well, and since that's what the sealing of the Holy Spirit is, authentic property of Christ. 
Those who have the Spirit are sealed with Him so that there's a great guarantee. And what does He guarantee? Well, He tells us here in verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. There's a great inheritance for us. It's waiting for us. And Paul goes on later in chapter 3 to say that it's, it's far more than we can ask or imagine. In other words, there's far more to come. The blessings that we have now are glorious and great, but they will be fulfilled in their full capacity in glory. When one day, we share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. Now Paul gives us an understanding of his, God's purposes throughout world history in verses 9 and 10. He says that he's been making known to us the mystery of his will. Mystery is simply something that was hidden that's now revealed. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to do what? Well, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is God's grand purpose in Jesus to unite everything, the entire cosmos, heaven and earth together under the rule and lordship of Jesus Christ. This word unite is a, is a term that comes from the theatrical world when speeches were given and a conclusion was made. They would, quote, sum up everything or gather together everything that had already been said. That's the same word here. Jesus is summing up. He's gathering together everything. Every random molecule in the universe. Every person that is a sinner that He is seeking after. He's gathering them together under His Lordship. So that one day, the entire universe will be remade. And one day it will work the way that He intended for it to work. Everything submitting to His good and righteous rule. Our world has lots of problems today. The primary problems are not political. They're not social. They're not economic. They're not ethnic. The greatest problem in the world today is moral and spiritual. Do we recognize the rule of the Lord Jesus? Because any time the rule of the Lord Jesus is not recognized... And that means there's fragmentation and disintegration of this world. And what Jesus is doing is saying, I'm going to gather together all the random pieces. I'm going to put it all together and one day it's going to work the way it should work. Friends, that's an inheritance that you and I will take possession of. And it's one that can never be taken away. Your house can be taken away. Your retirement package can be taken away. Family members can be taken away. Your entire future, earthly future, can seemingly be taken away from you. But the inheritance of God will last forever. And if you trust by faith in Jesus, He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit and guaranteed it. It's kept in heaven for you. Friends, these are glorious blessings. And where is Jesus beginning to work out this effort of uniting all things 
but first and foremost now in the church of Jesus Christ. So that these blessings begin to take root now. So that people begin to live for God now. They begin to trust in His salvation now. They begin to understand, I'm adopted by God. I'm loved and welcomed into His family now. I have a great inheritance waiting for me now. So that the church of Jesus Christ becomes that place where the rule of Christ is most clearly and gloriously expressed to the praise of His glorious grace. In just a moment, we're coming to the table of Jesus. And it's a place where we're able to receive the blessings of Christ by faith. Friends, these are the kind of blessings that God has for us. Why would we seek blessings anywhere else than in Jesus? Come to Him. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we do come to You now pray that as we seek Jesus by faith that you would work within our hearts and fix within our hearts a great confidence in all the blessings that you have given to us in Jesus so that our lives would be to the praise of his glorious grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.